Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Hey, all right. Good morning, Mosaic. Hey, it's good to see you. Fall is my favorite season of the year. And I've decided that this Sunday is my favorite Sunday of the year. Are you kidding me? I get to preach in a Notre Dame jersey. Come on. This is like a dream come true for an Irish fan. So I'm having so much fun. There's a lot of orange out here. Uh, I love it too. Um, Did I hear Rochelle earlier say that she was told she would get booed if she wears a... And you let Ben walk off in a Raiders jersey and you don't boo him. What in the world? Uh, I would never wear a Raiders jersey, but it did cross my mind uh, to wear a, a Broncos jersey just to be one of the locals, you know, like that. But man, I want to wear a winner. I'm just, I'm just. And, and yes, let me beat you to the punchline. I watched yesterday's game and I almost changed my wardrobe today. It was that close. It was that bad, but we still pulled out a win. So it's going to be a long season, I think. Love it. So glad you're here. Hey, if you're new to Mosaic, my name's Jeff, and it's a privilege to be a part of helping serve this congregation as one of the pastors. Uh, man, if you're thinking, this place seems determined to have fun and laugh together, enjoy together, you're kind of getting us. That's what we want to be about. We're about Jesus and Jesus-centered living, but part of that is the joy that we experience together. I peeked in last night, by the way, during the uh, women's, women's comedy night. Man, there was a lot of laughter, a lot of joy in this room. I absolutely loved it. I just love what God was doing uh, through our ministries. I love all these people who are just up here sharing about opportunities to find community and connection and life and joy. Uh, We need that so much right now, don't we? We are surrounded by people, neighbors, our children, coworkers, people that we're dropping off our kids off at school line. We are surrounded, each other, ourselves, look in the mirror by people that are carrying more ache, more fear, more angst, more concern than maybe any time in their life. And so the people of Jesus ought to be the expression of joy that we're called to be. You go to Galatians chapter five, and it's the, the, the headlines. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The very first one we're gonna talk about quite a bit in this series, love. And then the very next one is joy. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that God is at work in our life, that the world needs to see, that we need to remind ourselves of, is joy is an expression of the Spirit in our life. I was, uh, this week I was in Phoenix um, for a couple days with some other pastors. I get to do this a couple times a year for just some coaching, some shared encouragement and prayer. It's just a rich time for me. And everybody's dealing with everything. It's hard. We thought by now we'd be kind of through in the next phase and back to whatever normal is, right? And we're finding ourselves that maybe this is normal. Maybe for the season ahead, we're gonna have to figure out what it means to roll up our sleeves, dig in, and still persevere and press on in spite of the challenges that we face everywhere, politically, health-wise, racial tensions, economic challenges, all of it, right? We're gonna have to press on. And here's what this, one of the pastors down there, he's a coach in our life, Chad said this. He said, you know what your church needs more than anything right now? You know what your family needs more than anything right now? You know what you need more than anything right now? It's to laugh more. I mean, you're thinking, what's the punchline? To talk about Jesus, to be discipled. And those are all crucial importance. He's like, we need to laugh more. We need to have fun more. Your kids need to see you having fun 
Your kids need to see you laughing and overflowing with the joy that believers are supposed to carry. Your neighbors who are angsty and divided and the vitriol that is just flying around, they need to see you just full of joy right now. You need to look in the mirror and you need to see yourself reminded that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's an evidence that God's in control, not the circumstances. God's in control. And so I hope that today, as we kick off into the fall a little bit together, it's not just about football. We're having some fun with that today. But this is about launching into, we're gonna, we're gonna love where we live by sharing what we found, what we just talked about, our other core value, and what we have found in Jesus is nothing short of incredible, life-changing joy, right? Amen? I hope that's true in your life today. Let's, let's just persevere and press on together. Uh, we're gonna continue on. This year, we have been doing core values and we've gone through the year, uh, we've had six core values that help us experience lives centered on Jesus. You can see it on the side. That is our mission statement. That's what we're about. And these are the six core values that we at Mosaic have identified that if we live, we don't just put them on a wall, we don't just make it a slogan. If we live these out, our lives are gonna continue in an increasing way to be centered on Jesus. And we're gonna help those around us to know the freedom and the life and the joy that Jesus brings and what it means to center on him as well. Through this year, we've gone through each of them, and, and I hope if you, if you wanna snap a picture of that, or you can go on our website, you can find this. I hope you are prayerful, if you're part of Mosaic, about how to continue to live this out, and how to live this as a family. But this series, we're gonna focus on the top orange one in the corner, we love where we live. Let's blow out the language on that a little bit, and I'll show you what the language is. We love where we live, and what we mean by that is love drives us to live on mission. What drives us to live on mission? Love. What drives us to live on mission, church? Love. Yeah, come on. Love drives us. So we're going to talk about that a lot in this series. And, it, and to bring shalom to all we touch. A little familiar with that word shalom. You're going to think it means peace, and that's part of it. But it's even more than that. We've talked about that in the past. Shalom is this making things as they should be holistically. Things right between you and me, between me and God and you and God, and even right within my own soul to live at peace. I wanna bring shalom. I want our lives, we want our church to bring shalom to all that we touch. And so from across the streets or across the globe, anywhere God allows us to have a footprint, anywhere God allows us to have influence, we wanna get out of our seat to change the story. And what drives all that? Love. Love is what drives it. Um, that word love, we're gonna talk about in this series, and we're gonna begin with it today. Today's just a springboard of what the next several weeks are gonna look like. That word love can be very difficult to define. We hear about it all the time. We have everybody in the world trying to define it for us, but we apply that word to so many different things. I love pizza. I love golf. I love chocolate. I love online gaming, I love restaurants, I love fly fishing, I love shopping, I love Breck, I love skiing, I love the mountains, I love Colorado. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my Jesus, I love my church. I use that word for so many different things that it can get really diluted what the definition and true meaning of it is. And, and here's the thing, with many of the things I just described, I may not be using the word love biblically or accurately anyway. We keep talking about love, and uh, something's interesting. It gets really weird when you talk about love when it comes to relationships. Uh, our anniversary, just uh, a couple months ago, Leslie got these. You're not going to be able to see it from out there, but we each are wearing these little bracelets. And on here, it's got the coordinates of where we exchanged our vows, where our marriage was, where we committed. I thought, is this the coordinates to Notre Dame Stadium? Well, that is uh, No. No, something much, much, much more important. 
and something I love much, much, much more. We exchanged our vows and we committed our love to each other for the rest of our life. But what does that even mean? What does it mean when you commit love to one another and devotion to one another? A little video we stumbled on that uh, asked a lot of people that question, what is love? What does that even mean? Watch this, see if you can relate. How would you define love? What is love? Love. <laughs> what is love? Stupid. Not stupid. It's a really hard question. <laughs> I have no idea. What That's is funny. love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. That's the question. The question is, what is love? How long do I have for this? Like in the movies, like I would expect it to be in the movies, like when you're just like thinking about them 24-7. And when it's there, you know it. It's a good feeling if you can sustain it. And therein lies the robot. I think it's difficult to sustain. I'm actually going through a divorce, so, but it's good, it's amicable, but 27 years we were in love. You know, by caring for someone so much, like you are putting, you, you make yourself a little bit vulnerable. It's the best thing and it's the hardest thing because love that is not returned can really break a heart, but I think that's the chance you take with love. Last time that I most vividly experienced love was the summer of 2010, and her name was Yasmin. I was 12 years old. I was not interested in boys. And I had known her for a month before Ramadan, and then I fasted for all of Ramadan. I walked in the store and I looked at him, and I knew, I, I said to myself, I'm gonna marry him. That type of thing can happen when you're confused and in love. And sure enough, many years later, we got married. There's this ideal that, especially from movies, that love has to be perfect, and there has to be that aha moment where you just, you know, and um, it wasn't like that for me. A lot of people say that love is a feeling, it's something you feel, but... It's uh, a conscious choice that people make. When somebody has hurt you so many times, you can still appreciate who they are as a person. You can see past all the things that they've done to hurt you. Well, especially when you screw up time and time again, because you do, but she's still there, and, and I will still be there for her. Sometimes when you take the shot and it doesn't work out, you know, you have to back up and move on and try again. It doesn't have to work every time. It doesn't even have to work often. It has to work one time. And that's the good thing about, about love. Hmm. So maybe you can relate a little bit to something that was said in there. Uh, but you asked the question, is, is love an emotion? Is it a feeling? Uh, is love a choice? And you heard several references in there to different forms of medium that tried to define that for us. Uh, there was a movie, a movie reference in there. It was a song. What is love? I mean, there's songs like crazy that try to define love for us, right? How do we define love? And, and the way the world defines love or where we default to, is there a better way than that? Is there a more God-centered or Jesus-centered or a biblical way that actually gives us life, sets us free? Could it be that a lot of the angst or a lot of the, the vacuum, the hollowness that we feel in life is because we really don't do a very good job at defining what love is? Just to, to help a little bit, part of what is the challenge in defining love is that we, again, we put so many things into this bucket with this one word of love that it just, it just dilutes it. And when you get into the Greek, which is what most of the New Testament was written in, in the Greek language, there's actually four words for love. Some of this will be familiar to some of you, but just really quickly, both as a refresher, but also maybe as an education, there's four different words. And when you're looking in the New Testament, you'll see uh, some different expressions of these words. The first word is eros, 
the Greek word eros. And all four of these words are translated as love, but they have more specificity. Eros, some of you may recognize the Greeks worshipped uh, eros as the god of sex and fertility. So the god of sexuality, the god of romance. That's eros. That's a type of love in the Bible. And I would venture to say, if we did a, a, a survey and a study on what songs and different mediums, movies try to tell us about love, a lot of them are driving more and more, especially for what the next generation is experiencing, into that, that the definition of love has a lot to do with sexuality or identity that is found in that. Uh, the second one is uh, philia, or some of you may know the term phileo. In Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And so philia is a brotherly or a friendly love. Really, maybe we would say like how we love each other in a community or how we, we build friends, guys who are hiking a climb together, women who are hanging out and having fun last night together. We have this like brotherly, friendly, sisterly, if you will, love together, philia or phileo. Another one that uh, is, is in the Greek is storge. That's one you may not know as well, but storge is this familial love. I'll describe it this way. The moment I saw my daughter, Lauren, for the first time after she's born, and I'm just, Leslie can tell you, man, I got, I was a mess, and I'm like, she's beautiful. And then the moment I saw our son, Garrett, born, it's been a lot of years, but I can still remember it for both of them. I just, I'm a mess again. I'm like, he's beautiful. I mean, I would lay down in front of a train for these two, and they haven't done anything but scream at me and make a nasty mess. That is storge love. That's a familial. You can't describe. There's just something that God's wired us to love our children inherently for. And then the last one, which the Bible talks about a lot, you may have heard before, is agape. Agape love. This one is such a big, broad definition of unconditional love, a willful choice of love, sacrificial love that desires the best, not for me, but for you, for the person that I'm loving. This is the love that describes God's love. It's an agape love. He pays a price willfully, sacrificially. He chooses to do this for our benefit, for our behalf, not his own. It is for his own glory, but it's to change your story. It's to change your future. It's what's best for you, agape love. And over and over, we'll see all four of these words sprinkled around in, in Greek writing and in different spots in the New Testament but this word agape appears all over the place in the New Testament. When we're talking about love and we're talking about what it means to love where we live, the New Testament clearly leads us and the teachings of Jesus clearly lead us that we're talking in agape love, a love that is unconditional, a love that is willful by choice, a love that is sacrificial and it desires the best for those around us that we love. So just want to springboard today and when we talk about loving where we live, Loving here, Littleton, Lakewood, Highlands, Morrison, on and on. When we talk about loving greater Denver, we, we talk about loving Colorado, what do we mean? When I, if I were to ask you that and we had a camera out in the lobby right now, hey, what do you, you love where you live, what do you love about here? You would start to answer things like the mountains or the beauty or skiing or hiking or maybe restaurants or theaters or entertainment downtown. We usually list all the things that we enjoy, what we enjoy ourselves. What do I get out of living here? And the biblical definition of love, agape love, looks very different than that. So today, I'm gonna to give you five really fast things that Jesus says about love. You might be surprised or you might not be surprised to, to learn today. Jesus says a lot about love. In fact, I just encourage you, if you don't spend much time in the scripture some great places to start are the book of John, the book of Mark, places where you will see their small readings. You can knock it out in a week. Just take 15 minutes a day and just read a couple of those chapters. If you need a Bible, we'll provide one. 
Or you can download the Bible app, and it's right there available. The book of John and the book of Mark, and you just cannot miss this oozing out of Jesus about, of being an agape, sacrificial, willful for the benefit of others, an agape type of a love, and that Jesus calls us to that as well. For time's sake, we're just gonna look really fast at five, and I'm gonna rapid fire, so if you're a note taker, stay with me. If you're online, stay with me. We're gonna crank through five things that Jesus teaches us about love And it helps us shape just why it's so important and why God calls us to this. First one is this. What Jesus says about love, love is the football. Love is the football. Now, no, Jesus didn't actually use that statement. But Jesus really was telling us that it's the most important thing. This afternoon when the Broncos take on the Giants, if they don't pay attention to where the football is and they don't keep the football they lose the game, right? If they don't put that football between the uprights or in the end zone, that is the most important thing is the football. And Jesus was asked a question in Mark chapter 12. A man said, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, which is the most important? By the way, pop quiz, how many commandments were there in the Old Testament? Anybody know? I hear, that's all I heard. I heard, and I don't think that's right. I I think somebody said 600, 613. There's 613 theologians, Bible scholars have tagged it all together, and there's 613. You want really big bonus points. I will take you out to lunch next week if you can memorize all 613 this week. Please don't try to do that. But there's 613, and Jesus is asked the question, what's at the top? What's the creme de la creme of the, of the laws? He doesn't even skip a beat, and he answers this. The most important one, the football, is this, love. Two prongs, love God with everything, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Most important, 613, 10 billion laws, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is he gets all of me. By the way, that word love is not eros, it is not philia, it is not storge, it is agape, sacrificial, willfully choosing that you have my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, my all. That's the most important thing about our life. And if that is not your story yet today, it can be. And it might sound like it's putting shackles by giving all that to a God that you can't see, but it is the most liberating, most freeing, most life-giving thing. That's why we want you to center your life on Jesus because we have found joy and life in doing that and we want that for you. And if we can help you in any way on that journey, let us know after the service. You can pray with somebody. You can stop by Connection Center online. There'll be people who will pray with you and help you understand that agape love that he has for us and that love that we can show back the freedom that comes in it. Second, Jesus says, but you only asked for one, but let me give you the second, because really, like we've said here before, it's two, two sides of the same coin. Hedge, you love God with everything, but you can't really do that without having the other side, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, there is no commandment greater than these. Loving your neighbor Again, it's that agape love, loves the football. I take what I've experienced from Jesus because of what he's done. I reciprocated. I can't believe you love me that way. I give you all my heart, soul, strength, mind, might, my life. But I also want to do all I can to do what you did for me. I want to do for others. I want to love people like you love me. Love is the football. Why do we love where we live? How do we love where we live? We love the way he loved us. And we love because he loved us. Second point, second thing Jesus teaches us or the second thing he says, love is the brand. Love is the brand. And we'll get to it in a second here, but I was reading Entrepreneur Magazine had an article a while back. I love this statement. Say, what what do you mean by brand or branding? You know, it sounds like a big marketing business term. 
Well, it is, but listen to this definition. Simply put, your brand is your promise to your customer. It tells them what they can expect from your product and service, and it differentiates your offering from that of your competitors. Your brand is derived from who you are, who you want to be, and who people recognize you to be. Love is who we are supposed to be, who we want to be, and what we want people to recognize in us. Love is what differentiates us from anything else that the world can offer. Love is what we promise to our customers, our neighbors, our children, the next generation, our coworkers, because that's what God calls us to do and calls us to be, to be people of agape, people of love. Love is our brand. What did Jesus have to say? Is this biblical at all? Well, John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, and that would then include us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Next two words, by this. Friends, this is your brand. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? The way we love one another. This is our brand. This is the thing that sets us apart. And, and you think about the world around us and the volatility and the anger and the fighting for my own rights and the ugly that the world is. You wanna know where the church can stand out and be a light and scream hope? It's right here. An agape love, a sacrificial, Jesus-like love, a willful choice to say, hey, for your betterment, for, for your future, for your joy, for, for your life, I'm gonna lay this down. I'm gonna choose to do all I can to agape you, to love you the way he's loved me. That changes the world. Jesus changed history because of that kind of love. You can change the world around you with that kind of love. After Jesus said that in John, 150 or so years later, Tertullian, who was an early church father, one of the Latin historians about the expansion and theological growth of the church had this to say, what marks us in the eyes of our enemies is our loving kindness. It's 1,800 years ago. Only look, they say, look at how they love one another. 1,800 years ago, could still be said of us today. The thing that they look for, the thing that differentiates us, our brand, is the way we love one another, the way we love people. D.L. Moody, the famed pastor back in the 1800s, put it this way, the world does not understand theology or dogma, but they understand love. They don't get all the, and maybe we struggle sometimes with that too, all the, man, 613, I mean, come on, what do we try to understand and all the new teachings and stuff? Even when we can't wrap our head around all of that, we know when we're loved. We know when we're loved. And we as followers of Jesus, those of us who have claimed him as our leader and we've centered ourselves on him, we have been loved. And there's a world around us aching right now in ways they don't even realize they're aching to be loved. Love's our brand. Third one, Jesus tells us that love is for all. Love is for all. Matthew chapter five, he's teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, pause. Who in the world said that? To love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, actually the Pharisees, the religious teachers and the religious leaders of the time. They really did. Part of their teaching was they believed because of what they understood from the Old Testament character of God was to just bring down curses and hate on your enemy. That was like vengeance of God on them. Jesus is saying, nope, flip the script on that. You've heard this, that you love the neighbors, like the people that you're in relationship with and are like you, they dress like you, they vote like you, they eat the same restaurants as you, they have the same color skin. You know, you've been told that and hate everybody else. By the word, the word hate is hate. (laughs) 
to despise. Let me tell you something different, Jesus says. I tell you, agape, agape your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, not just the ones who are distant in a far off land that, well, I just don't have anything to do with them, so I'm gonna have a distant hate. Okay, what about the ones that are really giving you some serious hard time? Pray for them. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Man, I love that phrase. I almost didn't add that on to this verse because it almost felt like a throwaway phrase because I'm trying to make a point about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, right? That phrase is so crucial in two ways. What is Jesus saying there? You look like your father when you love the enemy because he loved you and he loved me and we were the enemy. We did everything we could to thumb our nose at God and yet he came running towards us and demonstrated his love towards us. Secondly, though, there's a plurality to this phrase. Look at that, that you may be children. He could have said that you may be a child of your father in heaven. No, children, and there's an inclusive. A lot of theologians interpret that to say, Jesus is saying that the enemy that you are showing love to is so surprised, so changed, so impacted by the love that you're expressing in spite of, in spite of the fact that you persecute and you're, 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 you're being enemies and, and you're not on the same sidelines. You're a Raiders fan versus a Broncos fan, whatever. You're praying for and supporting them. It changes them to where Matthew 5, 16, they, want, they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. They want what you've got. And now you're not just a child of the Father. Because of your love, there are children of the Father. You get it? I mean, your love of the enemy is not just a reflection of the Father that has shown you love. It's, it's something that impacts in such a great way that makes heaven a little more crowded. <laughs> it brings more people into the story. and welcomes more people around his table. Go on in verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only the, your own people, what are you doing more than others. Don't even the pagans do that. So much in his statements here, we don't have time. Just quick reference. That would have been like pouring salt in a wound for these Pharisees. The Pharisees who have said, love your neighbors but hate your enemies. He's saying, uh, isn't that exactly what the tax collectors and the uh, pagans or those who don't even follow God do? And they had such condemnation for both of those camps. Jesus is saying, you're kind of just identifying with the same thing they do. Why, why do you have anything different or special? What makes us unique, what makes us special is recognizing, Jesus says, this love, this agape, it's for all. It's your brand. It's what differentiates you. It's the football. It's the most important thing. And so that's what we're called to. I love what our students are doing, by the way. I told Brand this morning, I took this off the wall in there just for today. But uh, if you're in middle school or high school, you may have seen this in our uh, Mosaic Youth. Man, there is awesome stuff happening there. Students just being impacted. Gary came home just lit up this week from his time in student ministry. And focusing this fall on this idea, love lives here. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter where you failed. You matter to God. He loves you. So you matter to us. And man, when you come to Mosaic, whether it's student ministry or here in the adult, we maybe need to get one of this for us in the, in the, in the lobby. So when people walk in, love lives here. And we're not just talking the love that the world defines or love that's convenient or casual, agape, sacrificial. We will say no to things because we wanna say yes to you for his sake. That kind of love lives here. You're welcome here. 
And I love what our students are learning. If you don't have students involved in middle school and high school showing up on Tuesday nights, you need to. I mean, their lives are being impacted in a great way, and they're centering around this very teaching of Jesus. Two more lightning quick things. Number four, love will cost you. Love will cost you. In John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, and someone lays down their life for their friends. And Jesus doesn't just teach that. He modeled that. He demonstrated that. And that's, we know that story. If you've not been here before, you still probably know that story. You know the story of Easter. You've heard it every year probably since a kid. Even if you're like, I don't want to do the church thing. I don't want to believe all that stuff. It's a, it's a ball and chain. It's a crutch. Okay, or whatever. You know the story, though. And you know what the story is? It's, it's a story of love. That he just, no greater love than anyone could have than to lay down your life. And let me demonstrate that for you, Jesus says. Anything I will call you to do and be, I've already done for you. Greater love. Luke chapter 10, I just encourage you, if you're looking for something small to read this week, again, get in the Gospels. Look at how Jesus talks about love. Mark and John are great books to see that in. You want something a little shorter? Something to start in? Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just 13 verses there. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I won't take time to to go through it here, but I will just say this. At the end of the story, if you're familiar with the story, just who is my neighbor? What do I do? How do I? Jesus answers what love looks like for somebody who is so easy to ignore, so easy to push on the margin or ostracize, racial tension, ugly, schedules, whatever it is, everything had to be pushed aside in the name of love. Jesus tells the story. And this man understands, maybe for the first time, what real love looks like. Luke chapter 10, I hope you'll read that. St. Augustine said this a long time ago, what does love look like? It costs us. It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and the sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. It's gonna cost you your time. It's gonna cost you maybe saying no to something else you want to do so that you can say yes to somebody who needs agape, who needs love. It may cost you your reputation, cost Jesus his reputation, but he did so willingly. What does love look like? It looks like something that often costs us. And then the last point that Jesus gives for today, and there's a whole lot more, but just for time's sake, love isn't about getting This may be the most important point we make here today. Love isn't about getting, it's about giving. Jesus demonstrates this in an amazing way. Love isn't about getting, it's about giving. Remember we started and we're like, hey, what do you love about Colorado? I love the mountains, I love skiing, I love the restaurants. We define love often about what we get, what we enjoy about the place, the beauty, the fun, the outdoors, the hiking, whatever it is. That's all about what I can consume, but love isn't. The biblical version of love The God version of love, the agape expression of love, isn't about what I get, it's about what I give. So when I say I love where I live, it's not about what I'm receiving from where I live, it's about what I'm giving to where I live. So the question today would be, do you you really love where you live? Not do you love what you get out of, do you enjoy what you get out of, do you sacrificially? Do you say no so you can say yes? Do you want the best for those around you? Even, as Jesus would say, this love that is for all, even enemies or people that are different. Do you love agape? Do you agape where you live? 
Um, football season's on us all over the nation, whether it's college football or pro football. We're gonna see these guys in the stands. They're gonna be in the end zone, almost every stadium in America, and they're gonna be holding up a card that looks like this, and it's gonna have a Bible verse on it, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about? What's the Bible verse? Look at that. I mean, even if you don't watch football hardly, you know what it is, right? I mean, in stadiums, and I've always kind of like chuckled and ah, and like, wow, I wonder what, does that guy get beat up in the parking lot afterwards? I mean, what happens to that guy? But I love the heartbeat. They don't even, if you pay attention, you don't have to write the verse out. All they need is the address. They just need the reference. Why? Because the world knows, or the English world knows, that watches football with us. The world knows what this verse tells us. This verse tells us that love isn't about getting. Love is about giving. And, and please, if you're out there watching and the TV can capture it or whatever, there is someone who loved you enough that he wasn't trying to get from you. He gave for you. In fact, let's say the verse together. It's so first grade for some of us. But sometimes the most important parts of our story are the easiest ones to forget. Don't forget this. Let's read this verse together out loud. Online, just read it wherever you're at with us, would you? For God so loved the world that he stopped. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He didn't get. He gave. This is a God, by the way, for God so agape the world that he gave. Keep reading with me. He gave what? His one and only son that whoever believes, love is for all. Love is for all. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16, there's not a person on television, there's not a person in the stands that is gonna read this first, remember that story, and not be part of this story that can't be qualified. So, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you, sir. That's not for you. <laughs> there's not a person in the world. That story is for all. And love costs. He gave his son. God loved us so much that he gave us Jesus, the human yet divine expression of himself, perfection and holiness, paying a price that we can't pay. Love, agape love, sacrificially, willingly, giving up, paying the price for the benefit of others. Is there any other greater expression than that? Jesus' life, Jesus' death teaches us that love isn't about getting, it's about giving. And that whole story, John 3, 16, and all that it represents, changed history. Jesus then called us to do the same thing. Would you just do the same thing for others that I've done for you? Climb up on a cross and try to pay for the sins of the world? No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Just love, agape love, in a sacrificial way, in a put myself aside for the benefit of others way, in a willful choice, I've determined I want my life to matter beyond consumerism. I want my life to matter beyond life management or my, what do I acquire and I claim? And all, it's, it's gotta be more than that. I wanna give it away. Jesus calls us to live that way, to agape where we live, to love where we live. He's had so much to say about this. But he went back to heaven. After he died, resurrected from the grave, he went back to heaven. He, he sits at the right throne, it says in the scripture, whole nother message for another time, what Jesus does on our behalf right now. But he left it to the New Testament church to begin, and the followers, the people, the men and women that followed him, to begin to demonstrate what that looked like. And the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul, some of you may refer to him as Saint Paul, gave him the inspiration to write what we look to as an important definition of what love is. 
In 1 Corinthians, this letter is written to a messy period of time, a lot of division, a lot of ugliness, angst, anger, volatility. No, Paul did not just write that last week, even though that sounds like us, right? He wrote it to a world that felt a lot like us, a lot of confusion, a lot of division, just ugliness. And in the middle of that, God uses Paul to write these words to say, this is what will, this is your brand. This is your football. This is what will distinguish you from the rest of the world and what will point people to me. It's love. And let me define what love is for you. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. And by the way, starting next week, this is what our series is gonna be all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. I'm gonna encourage you to memorize it over the next five or six weeks with us. Just a few verses. In those verses, it gives us 14 distinct characteristics of what it means to love. And by the way, oh, it, it's, it's agape. Yep. Every time you see this phrase, in fact, as I read it, I'm just gonna say the word agape. Sacrificial, willfully choosing for the benefit of others kind of love. This is what love looks like. We'll put this on the screen for you here. Love is, I'm sorry, agape. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. Do you reflect as you go through? Just, just let's start today, but let's lean in over the next few weeks. Agape doesn't envy. Agape doesn't boast. Agape isn't proud, arrogant. Agape does not dishonor others. Agape is not self-seeking. Agape isn't easily angered. Oh boy, that's gonna be a fun weekend. Agape keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil. Agape rejoices in truth. That's gonna be a fun week too. Agape always protects. Agape always trusts. Agape always hopes. And agape always perseveres. Love, or agape, it looks different than, than the definition of love that the world tries to tell us. And we're gonna look over the next several weeks, one at a time, at each of these. They're not even suggestions of love or just like descriptives. They're requirements. Agape is kind. It's not an option. You wanna say you love where you live, you gotta be these things because that's the biblical definition of it. So I hope you'll join us over the next few weeks. We're just gonna lean in on all this together, okay? Um, let me just close with this. Team's gonna come, Ben's actually gonna come out and um, I just, here's the key. You have a choice. You have a choice in all of this. You have a choice to, to have almost like an anti-love indifference to the community around you, keep fighting for everything that is your right and what you got coming to you, you think, and all that. Or you have this choice to use your story, your resources, your influence, your relationships, your time to truly love what he loves. He loves, God loves every person around you. God did this for every person around you. There is not a person in your neighborhood or a person in your life that you will set eyes on that God does not love. And he invites us to be a part of that story, sharing that love, being an expression of that agape love. And you've got a choice. He puts resources in your pocket. He puts time in your schedule. He puts relationships around you. And you get to choose. You get to choose what you're gonna do with that. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.